Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35 through 38. Say, I got it if you're there. 35 through 38 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues. It says, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And the Bible says in verse, 35, uh, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then these are our two focus verses. But this last verse says, therefore, pray earnestly. Somebody say earnestly. Earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Is it okay for us to dive into part two of it's here? Okay. So I remember, man, I remember uh, when I was, you know, a few years ago, my wife and I, we, we owned a home in Michigan. And while we were in Michigan, uh, we had a treadmill. And, you know, it, so in the, I love running. I love long distance running for those that know me or follow me on, you know, Instagram and all that. I run 10 and 15K um, regularly. That's just stuff that I love to do um, because the devil tried to tell me I couldn't do it when I was younger. Uh, my, my asthma was really bad and God healed me. And so after that, as a punch in the face uh, and as a glory to God, I love running. And so we had a, somebody ought to have said amen in that moment right there. See, 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 people be acting like healing and stuff like that is just regular. Like, oh, that's, that's nothing, you know, but God is still an amazing healing God. And so I remember in my basement, uh, in our basement, we had a treadmill. And in the winter months, I would run in my basement because uh, I, you know, obviously don't want to slip in and break my back outside. And so that was Bajan for those who don't know. But being in the basement, man, I remember there was this one time when I when I was, you know, going to get on the treadmill and I went and I'm pressing the buttons and I'm like, man, why in the world is this thing not working? It wouldn't turn on. I was pressing all the stuff. Nothing was happening. And I'm getting vexed at this treadmill like, guy, why are you not working? And so I kept on messing with it. I tried my, you know, my wife was reminding me I was picking it up. I was putting it down. I was checking to see if it had something to do with just the way that it was, just looking crazy. And eventually I realized when it was all said, because the thing is, it was plugged into the wall. So I looked at it and I'm like, okay, you know, I, this thing just must be broken. However, after further investigation, I realized that the area where uh, it joined from the power cord that was in the wall into the, the treadmill itself it was disconnected at that place. Somebody stay with me this morning. And so the thing that I was focused on, in fact, was not the real issue. The buttons were not broken. Come on, somebody. The thing itself was not broken. The, the, the mechanism for it to go up and go down, none of that was broken. The issue was not even that it was not plugged into the wall. The focus and the fact was that the area where it was connected from the wall, where it connected from the wall to the device itself, that was the area that was the issue. And how many of us, how many of us, if you can just stay with me for a moment, how many of us in life, we get to the place where we are focusing on a problem, something that's an issue in our life, 
And the fact of the matter is, the area that we're focusing on is not even the cause of the problem. Some of us, we have an issue with high blood pressure, for example. And we're saying, man, why in the world can't I get my blood pressure down? And we're mad about the, the blood pressure issue. When in actuality, many times, sometimes it's hereditary, but many times it's attached to our dietary habits. Come on, somebody. And so our focus is on the blood pressure when in fact it needs to be on our diet. And so oftentimes our focus is amiss. We're looking at the wrong thing and looking at the and focusing on the wrong thing and we're wondering why we're not getting the results that we desire. Here is where I'm going with it's here. I want you to understand here in the text uh, in verse in verse if you look with me uh, Pastor Chantal dealt with compassion last week and she did such a great job of painting the picture of how Jesus had was looking out over the crowds and he saw that they were like uh, they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And they were in this place where they were, where they were tormented. And he was so desirous of seeing them delivered and seeing them change. And look at what he says. This is a powerful thing. This is something uh, that I think is good and is for our noting. Note what he says here in the text. He says in verse 37, he says, Then, the, then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Can I help you to understand? Notice this. The thing that we usually pray for is harvest. Somebody's going to see where I'm going in a second. Because we're usually praying for harvest, saying, God, please give us harvest. God, increase the harvest in our lives for the sake of evangelism and for the sake of church. God, increase the harvest in our church. But God is saying, God didn't instruct the disciples to pray for the harvest. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but it's the laborers that are few. Man, I came to have church this morning. I hope one or two of y'all would join me. Uh, because the fact is, he says, therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Point number one, point number one. Are you still with me this morning? Point number one, as we talk about it's here, this is where the title comes from, it's here. Because the fact is that Jesus makes it clear that the harvest is here. The harvest is among us, but we're supposed to pray for laborers. So number one, here it is, here's point number one for, the, for those who are taking notes. Stop praying for the harvest and start praying for the laborers. Have you opened your eyes and looked around you? Do you know that there are over 6 million people in the greater Toronto area? Do you know that about 50% of these people are not professing Christianity? Do you know that that's about 3 million people that do not know the Lord? Who's with me this morning? So when you're talking, and so the fact of the matter is people are always wondering, why are you planting a new church? Aren't there already so many churches out there? Why did Surf City, why didn't you just go be a part of that one? Why didn't you? Well, how many of you know that if there are 3 million people that need to be saved and the churches that exist in the GTA right now are not reaching, even, even if every church, say there was a thousand churches in the GTA, and they all increase by a thousand people, which is very unlikely because I think it's like 80% of churches are under set or 70 people are under. If they all increase by a thousand, that's a thousand churches that are there. That's a million people. There's still two million people that don't know Jesus. So look, in fact, look at somebody, tell them the harvest is here. 
There are cities, there are subcities, there are suburbs in the greater Toronto area that don't know the Lord. Come on, somebody. There are people who are perishing without Jesus, and we're in here praying for the harvest, and we're dancing and twiddling our thumbs and shouting about how good God is when there's a world outside these doors that is perishing. The harvest is here, but the laborers are few. It's the people. God is praying. God is telling us to pray that more people would take uh, the, the responsibility of reaping seriously. Come on. I, I just want to encourage somebody. The responsibility of being a laborer seriously. When you understand the responsibility that you have. When you understand that the harvest is here. You see your job as a harvest field. You see your house as a place of harvest. You see, you see your friends and your family as a place of harvest. Man, there's so many of us that talk about our family. And this person can't get right. Cousin Boo Boo, he never going to get himself together. Come on, somebody. And Ray Ray and Junebug and but Betty Sue, they're never going to get in order. I can't believe he drink like a fish and, and he's sleeping around with everybody. We talk about the harvest, but very rarely do we go out and reap the harvest. And God is looking for folk. He's not looking for people to talk about the harvest. He's not looking for people to gossip about the harvest or even sit and pray for the harvest. He's saying the harvest is plentiful, but I'm looking for someone who will say yes to me. Yes to my will. Yes to my way. And go out and tell somebody about the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. So number one, stop praying for the harvest start praying for laborers that's why we're praying for people to get right man to stop being in a, a, a lazy manner and get up and actually plug in if you are saved your responsibility is to be a reaper to be a laborer god didn't save you to so so anyway let me let me move on so stop praying for uh, the harvest this is but stop praying for the harvest pray for the laborers and then look at this look at this i, I want you to understand uh so so right before Jesus makes these statements, right before he declares that the harvest is here, somebody say the harvest is here. Right before he says that the harvest is here, we find earlier on in this very same passage, look, if you look back, uh, Jesus does some amazing things. Uh, he heals a paralytic in earlier on in the chapter. He calls somebody to ministry. He calls Matthew to ministry. Uh, he raises a girl from the dead. He heals a woman. He heals a blind man. He heals a man who is unable to speak. Jesus does all sorts of stuff. Before he declares that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And you know what this tells me? This tells me that Jesus was not just looking for, uh, Jesus was not just looking to, for himself to be the one that would carry out his works. Who's with me this morning? The fact that he went and he did all these things, but then he still declared that the harvest is plenty and the laborers are few is because he was making it clear to us, number two, point number two, that both the Lord and the laborers are responsible for the harvest. In fact, look at somebody. Tell them, neighbor, oh neighbor, both the Lord and the laborers, come on, put some pep in that voice, are responsible for the harvest. 
So he's saying, it's not just me. Yes, I'm the one that executes the healing and the deliverance and these things in the lives of people. But I want to be, some of us think that Jesus is going to show up in a limousine and witness to your co-workers. Come on. But no, Jesus is not going to come in a Honda and witness to your co-workers. He's going to show up through you when you get to your job. He's going to show up through you when you speak to your kids. He's going to show up through you when you're in your relationship with your husband or your boy. It's through you. You and I both have a responsibility for the harvest. Are you with me? Both the Lord and the laborers. I love John 14, 12. Jesus says, you know, I'm, he says, I'm on the earth. And he says, the works that I do, they're fantastic and they're cool. Uh, but I'm getting ready to go to the Father. I'm summarizing. And he says, greater works. Somebody say greater works. Greater works than these shall you do because I go to my father. Was Jesus saying when he said greater works, did he mean better works? Did he mean that you were going to be in a position where you did better works than Jesus? That's not what he was saying. But the fact is that as there are more uh, believers that come, there are more laborers that come. Come on, somebody. And so greater in terms of scope and in terms of scale. In other words, it's going to be more scalable on a larger scale as we increase in believers. And the thing is, the harvest keeps getting bigger, but the laborers are still being stagnant and focused and complaining about food. Oh, they didn't sing my song today in church. Come on, somebody. Oh, I don't like the way that she looked at me. Oh, I stubbed my toe. Oh, something happened. Don't you understand that we're in the middle of a war? Come on, somebody. Stuff is going to happen and the devil's going to try to distract you and get you off your game. But you need to get to the place, you and I, where we say, you know what? Church is not about me. I been saved and I've been God is sanctifying me and he changed me not just so I could look cute and show up to church like it's a buffet and just pick off the plate the things that I want and throw the rest away but I showed up as a laborer to be able to go into the field so that people's lives could be changed through me both the Lord and the laborer are responsible. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians. Uh, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just want to show you this so you understand the Lord and the laborers. We are co-laborers. We are working with the Lord. Uh, 1, 1 Corinthians is in the second half of the Bible. For those who are new to Bible, I uh, want you to go ahead and find it. It says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? He says, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God, somebody say God, but God gave the growth. It is God, it is God's responsibility. Look, see, 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 he says, Paul planted, Apollos watered. Both of them were followers of Jesus. Both of them were workers in the ministry of the Lord. And some they one of them was responsible for planting some of them were responsible for planting the seeds in people's lives others were uh, the next was responsible for watering the seed in people's lives but it was not them that was responsible for the growth that was to take place in the life of those that they planted and watered in it was God who was responsible for causing growth I don't know I don't want to try to throw somebody a surprise party somebody might be saying you know what I don't want to witness because I don't know the word to say and I'm scared because of the fact that you know I think that I, I don't, I'm not eloquent and I'm not ready. don't you understand that it is not you that saves people 
God is the one. All of our responsibility is to do. You know what it is? If God, can I just break it down? If God has changed your life, if God has done something in your life and you've credited it unto him, all you have to do is be willing to say yes. If God has healed your body, if God has provided for you, if you, all you have to do is use that as a platform. Your testimony ought to be a platform that you use to be able to witness to somebody else. All you got to do is go and tell them about what God did. And God is responsible. Or you know what that might be? That might be you planting a seed in their life for the first time. Somebody who might be doubting and saying, I don't believe that God exists. It might be that moment that shows them when God does the miraculous in their life. That maybe there's an inkling of a chance. And then you know what? So that's Paul. Then God might send Apollos. Come on. God might send Glenn thereafter. After I just testified to water that seed. When Glenn has a testimony and says, hey, you know what? This thing happened and this such and such. And God delivered me from X, Y, and Z. And it's all credited to the power of the gospel. And that person then, then that seed is watered. But those two things alone are not what are responsible for the growth or for the harvest coming in that person's life. It is, the, it is God then who is responsible for growing that thing and bringing it to the place. So I feel, I don't know, somebody, I just want to release you right now. Because you thought you had to know it all in order to witness to somebody. You thought you had to have it all together. You thought you had to take showers in anointing oil before you could be qualified to minister. But I'm just here to tell you that my Bible says, let the redeemed (laughs) of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hands of the enemy. Your testimony is often the key and the seed that God uses to deliver people. All you have to do is be is, is to be able to share. It is it is so. There's a partnership. We plant and we water. Uh, that's the way that we do. And sometimes God does all of these things irrespective of us. But He chooses to use laborers to plant and to water and to tend to it. But He is the one who gives the increase. It's Him who prepares people. And so He's the one that's saying the harvest is plentiful. This is why. This is why the Bible says in John chapter six verse forty four, none can come to me. Except the Father who sent me draws them. God is responsible for preparing the harvest. So once you, our responsibility is to plant. Our responsibility is to water. It's God's responsibility to give the increase. It is He. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. It lets us know and onward. That whole chapter, it makes us clear that when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Somebody say dead. Stillborn. You were, you were born spiritually stillborn. Because of sin. But the Bible says that when we were dead spiritually in our sins and trespasses, that Jesus made us alive. That's some good news, man. I'm about to lose my mind. He made us alive. It is him who is responsible for making us alive. It is him who is responsible for bringing growth and increase uh, to the harvest. Bringing it to the place where not only do we plant and do we water it, but then we get to be to the place where we're able to reap it. If we would just say yes and be available in the field. I love the story in Acts chapter 8. Uh, verse 26 and keep your finger in Matthew Matthew chapter 9 we'll be back there in a second there's a story in Acts chapter 8 and I'll just summarize uh, you can you can just write it down Acts chapter 8 verse 26 through 38 that's the story of Philip and who is known as the Ethiopian eunuch there's a guy uh, the Ethiopian eunuch uh, he, was, he was somebody who was an integral part of the administration of Candace who was the queen of Ethiopia 
And she was in this position, uh, or he was rather in this position where he was traveling, and he was in his carriage, in his, where he was traveling. And the, an angel, right, the Spirit of the Lord, uh, through this angel, encourages Philip to go and catch himself up to the chariot where this Ethiopian eunuch was traveling. What Philip had no clue about was that the Ethiopian eunuch was at that very same moment reading the gospel in the book of Isaiah. And the gospel being that Jesus was going to die and that Jesus was like a lamb was going to be led to a slaughter and that he was he was going to be tortured and punished. And and so and so uh, so so when Philip goes and catches himself up to this chariot, everybody say the chariot. When he goes and catches himself up to the chariot, it just so happens that the, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the gospel at that time. What a perfect setup. And the Ethiopian eunuch asks him in that moment, says, who is this person speaking of? Is he speaking of himself or is he speaking of somebody else? And Philip in that moment was able to share the gospel and say that he was talking about Jesus. Come on, somebody. So much so that the harvest was reaped in that moment where that Ethiopian eunuch gave his life to the Lord and said, here's some water. Maybe I just need to go ahead and get baptized right here. And they stopped the chariot and he gets out and gets baptized. Man, that's some good stuff. Because God is the one who prepares the harvest. There are people in your life right now who God is setting up for you to come in and leading you into their lives to, because they are being prepared for you to minister the gospel to them. They are being prepared for you to be able to share your story with them. In fact, I want to just tell somebody something today because someone showed up today and you didn't even realize that it's a setup. You might not even be saved today and you showed up and you're saying, what is all this Bible stuff about? And what is all of this Jesus stuff about? And you showed up on the right day because I'm here to tell you, if you've never seen a walking miracle, you've seen one right and you're looking at one right now. And God has transformed my life. And you know my testimony I shared. My mind was gone. I smoked some bad weed and it messed up my mind. And I was trapped inside my body having severe panic attacks. Couldn't even sit in church. Couldn't drive in a car for more than 15 minutes. And the Lord delivered me at, when I, come on somebody, when I got saved and I'm standing before you. You see me jumping, going crazy because I couldn't do none of this before. I was bound and I thought my life was over. But thanks be to God for his delivering power. So if you've never seen a miracle, you're looking at one. I got story upon story. How about there was a car on the highway when I was driving. I was on my way to, uh, to, come to Canada to preach. And somebody, because they got in a car accident, the tow truck, they parked the tow truck in the middle of the highway to assist the car that had been, been disabled on the side of the road. And so we're driving, I'm driving 60 miles an hour, it started raining, uh, and so, you know, so we, were, we decided that we were going to slow down, probably slow down to maybe 55 miles an hour, somewhere around there. It was a preacher friend of mine and a lady in the back who was not even wearing her seatbelt. And we were driving in a Geo Metro. Who knows what a Geo Metro is? You know, one of them little paper cars, you know. It was like, it was barely driving in the first place, just like, like Mr. Bean or something. And we're on our way. We're going. We're driving. We're on our way to preach and to minister. And then I come around the tor the this turn uh, right when we were heading into Detroit. And as I'm coming around the corner in the rain, there were cars on the left of me and cars on the right of me. So I couldn't switch. And this tow truck was parked smack dab in the middle of the highway. 
So I slammed on the brakes because there was nothing else for me to do. The car goes to slide and the car goes to slide and smashes in to the back of this tow truck at 55 miles an hour in this little paper car. And then we got out. Okay, y'all going to get it in a second. Trust me. I, I'm, as, as time goes on, you're going to start get, not getting accustomed to miracles and stuff. And we'll start giving God praise, real praise, when I talk about stuff that God does. We slammed into the back of this tow truck, parked. That was the equivalent. Uh, it was a 7,000 pound tow truck. Because we got out and the people who were on the side were like, how in the world did you get out without a scratch? And I remember looking in the back. And the girl who was not wearing her seatbelt, as we were getting ready to make an impact, I was thinking, oh my gosh, she's getting ready to go through the windshield, right into the back of that car. And I remember turning around and seeing an angel holding her down on the seat. And she came out without a scratch too. Y'all think this is patty cake stuff. God is an amazing God. And he doesn't always do what you think he should do. And he might not always come through when you think that he should come through. But he is a God who does the miraculous. I came to charge your faith this morning to understand that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works within you. And we came out and we were able to minister to the people on the side of the road. I won't be standing here preaching to you today. It's people that, and I used to work in a funeral home. And so I used to see people die for less stuff than that. And so I know I don't count it as a, I don't count it by happenstance that God spared our life in that moment. And so anyway, so I just share with you, your testimony is powerful. And somebody here, you are here because God is setting you up. And for others, I encourage you to go out and because God has positioned you, is positioning you to be that person that will catch up. You don't know. There are people who are literally in that situation, in a situation that are ready to hear about what God has done in your life. And oftentimes we wonder, why is it that God has placed me in this person's life right now why is this why is it that this person came into my life why is it this person sat next to me on the bus could that be a moment where God is leading you to minister could it be a moment where God is preparing to use you to be able to bring somebody to a place of transformation can I is this is this good this morning and so number one stop praying for the harvest start praying for the labors number two uh, both the Lord and the labors are responsible for the harvest. Uh, not only this, but number three, number three. So this is, the, this, is the, this is the action. Here we go. Number three, you've got to say this with me. Say, get up. Say it with some power, y'all. Say, get up. Go in and bring in the harvest. One more time. Say, get up. Go in and bring in the harvest. That's our responsibility. Like I told you, man, too many of us are just talking about it and we're, 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 we're shouting about it and we're singing about it and we're praying about it when we can actually be about it. God has called us to go in. Yes. And Surf City is the perfect place, man. You don't have to be perfect. Our only rule that we have here is no perfect people allowed. So if you're perfect, you don't belong here. And so, well, I know I'm not perfect, so I'm so thankful that we have that rule. And that means that every single person has the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing here. We call it our dream team. And I just celebrate people like, people like Merv, man, in the back there. Can we just celebrate Merv? People like Merv that show up every single Sunday, man. This morning he was here. He shows up bright and early at the behind crack of dawn. 
before everything starts, loading up the trailer, unloading stuff, going nuts. People like him. It's people that take this thing seriously. And it's people like Cindy who show up on Sunday mornings and greet and, 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 and operate in the welcome center and, and show the love of God to people as they come in. Give them a wave, Cindy, where she is there. And all of you awesome people on our team. It's people like you guys that, that, that position us because this is a place where we want to reap the harvest. God is sending the harvest and I'm not here for a show. This Sunday is not about me having a cute platform so that I can stand up here and sound cool and listen to me. You all can listen to me yell, but it's about a, it's being in a position and in an atmosphere where the love of God is so tangible and you feel so welcomed by God's love in his people that somebody would be moved to a place of transformation. So we've got to get up. We've got to go in and bring in the harvest. God has us to be in this place. I want you to understand some of us, there are some hindrances, the hindrances that we have. Somebody's saying, well, you know, I'm scared of rejection. So that's why I'm scared to get up and go in and bring in the harvest. I'm scared that somebody's going to reject me. I want you to understand, as I told you, in John chapter 4, write this down. John chapter 4, verse 31 through 35. You can just go ahead and check that out when you get a chance. But in that passage right there, Jesus is in a position where he just had the encounter with the woman at the well and his disciples are checking him because he had not yet eaten meat and they're saying hey man haven't you eaten yet we're concerned about the fact that you have not eaten and he said listen man I have meat that you know not of in other words he was so focused on the fact that this town uh, in Samaria that this woman that he ministered to her whole town was attached to her and he saw the potential of transformation in that whole town to the place where he was like listen y'all are focused on food but i'm focused on harvest and then he says listen when he says something similar to what he says in mark matthew chapter 9 instead of saying the harvest is plenty but the labors are few he says the fields are white somebody say white the fields are white onto harvest for you who are scared about rejection to go in and to uh to get up and to go in and to bring it in for those of you who are scared you need to understand uh, that the fields are white in other words uh, when the harvest is not ready it's green even apples when you pick up an apple that's not ready and you just try to bite it, it just breaks your teeth out it's crazy because it's not ready but the same way when you look into a field uh in terms of harvest and with grain when it's green right and it's in that beginning stages in the beginning stages it's not prepared prepared for harvest but when it gets to the place of readiness come on somebody it becomes to a place where it gets a lighter color where it becomes in a whiter color and jesus is saying listen the fields are white in other words they are ready there are people are you seeing the stuff that's happening in our society today people are looking people are ready for deliverance people are looking around for answers right now that's why people are out there doing all sorts of crazy stuff because they're in a search trying to figure out what it is that they need to do in order for their life transformation and none of those things are filling them like that woman in the well in John chapter 4 none of those things are filling them because the truth is that nothing can fill our soul and the hunger in our soul and the thirst in our soul other than Jesus 
And so we are positioned. We are, there is, so, so, so we are positioned to be able, don't be scared of rejection because the fields are white unto harvest. Does this mean that everybody that you preach to or everybody you witness to is going to come to the Lord? No, I want you to write this down and study this in your time. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 19 through 23. The apostle Paul, he makes a declaration of himself. He says that he, he puts himself in a position where he has sacrificed he has sacrificed and he has become all things somebody say all things all things to all people so that he might save some so he was willing to put himself in a position where he said to the jew i become like a jew to the greek i become like a greek everything that i'm doing i'm going to do it and all i'm going to do is not cross over the line as it pertains to the word of god but he says whatever i got to do to position myself to be effective uh, to the people that god has called me to i'm going to do so and he says that i'm going to put myself in this position he understands he's not going to save all he says i'm going to do it to save some Somebody say some. You might not be able to reach all of the people. Come on, somebody. You might not be able, everybody you minister to. Some people you're kind to, they might put their hand in your face. Some people that you're kind to, they might reject you. But I wonder if it's one or two people in this place that would get up off their blessed assurance and wake the faith up. Come on, somebody. And get up and get into the field and realize that even if it's one person who would come to the Lord, Jesus would have died for the one. And so if Jesus would have died and shed his blood for the one, then the least i could do is preach and hope that one is going to come to him it doesn't matter if you don't get the masses the field is white there are people who are out there who are prepared who are in queue for transformation the fields are white somebody say white the fields are white all unto harvest and you know so that's the the first part sacred uh, scared of rejection uh, that's one of the biggest reasons why people uh, don't come through and i just love it because texts like acts thirteen forty eight, where the bible says that as they were preaching uh, that the gentiles that they rejoiced uh, and those who were appointed or ordained to eternal life believed you know there are people who god was working on in that crowd and appointed in that crowd and opened the opportunity for them to repent there were people in that moment who were prepared who were harvest and so they were preaching with the expectation knowing that the gospel was going to cause some people to be able to be reaped for the kingdom's sake and so B, the B part of the hindrance is why we don't get up, go in and bring in the harvest is because we're unable, we're unwilling to sacrifice. Man, I have never, this is probably the, the, the generation of the most laziest Christians in our, of, our, of ever. We are people who are so focused, man. We get up to go to work. Come on, somebody. We get up to go punch a clock. We get up to go and we serve this, uh, this master of this job. But people have to pull your teeth to tell somebody about the God who transformed your life. Who am I talking to this morning? You know, I, you know this is a story. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to end on this, you know, when I think about this man, uh, where and in, in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 5, where Timothy connects with Paul. Somebody say Timothy. And Timothy, he grew up in a position where he had a mom who was a Jew and a dad who was a Greek, right? So he did not get circumcised. And the Jews, they were very serious about circumcision because it was a part of a covenant that was made between God and them and, uh, and, and Abraham. And so in order 
for Timothy to be able to be effective in the context of reaching the Jews in order for them to hear him, he went and he allowed himself to be circumcised. Somebody say circumcised. Now see, you don't want to say that out loud because it's like, man, are you serious? But he actually put himself in a position where he was circumcised. He sacrificed and put himself in that pain so that he could position himself to be effective in reaching the Jewish people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And some of us tripping because we got to get up on a Sunday morning to show up at 7 or 8 o'clock to set up some speakers and to set up some stages. Who am I talking to on this morning? Some of us tripping and we're saying, oh man, I got to sing again. I can't believe it. Oh my God. They want me to be at the front and open a door. Oh my God. And this dude is out here with a knife getting circumcised. Just so he could go and win some people. And not all of them are even going to respond favorably to the gospel. You know the average person attends church less than two times a month? This is insane. We've got to be to the people, to, to the place where we are a people who say yes to the Lord. Who are not, don't shrink back because of the mess that's going on. Don't shrink back because of the problems that we face. Don't shrink back be, uh, because of the, the things. Don't you understand that the God that you serve, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the devil's job is to try to get you off your guard and try to get you to be so narcissistic and focus on yourself. Come on somebody, that you don't care about the lost and dying Jesus did not save you just so you could go to heaven. He saved you so you could get up, go in, and bring in the harvest. Oh, I want people to be saved, Jesus. Then get up and go do something. And so I love it because, you know, we serve a God who doesn't just tell us to do it, but he did it. We serve a God who did the greatest sacrifice of all time. <laughs> Come on, Glenn. We serve a God who did the most amazing thing of all time. Je Man, seriously, Jesus went in. Somebody say, Jesus went in. He went all the way in. We serve a God who decided that when we were stranded, he was going to give us the ultimate sacrifice of all time. This is why we go in because he saw the harvest. He said, I'm not just going to blink and create a new planet. I'm not just going to say, skip y'all and forget y'all and this is over and this is it. I'm just, he says, you know what he says? He says, I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to put on flesh because before Jesus came to the earth, he was spirit. He says, I'm going to put on flesh, become like my creation, and show them the greatest act of love of all time. This is the gospel that Jesus claimed. And he says, instead of making them go and punish and pay for their own sins, I'm going to go and die on their behalf. I'm going to experience the torture and the pain. He sacrificed. He was willing to go out of his way. He was willing to go in so that you and I could be saved to the point of death on the cross. To the point that, that not only did he die, but the amazing thing is that he rose from the dead. Somebody say he got up with all power in his hands so that you and so that I could have life eternal and so i'm getting ready to pray in this moment bow your heads and close your eyes with me god i'm just so thankful for this opportunity i'm so thankful lord god for your word thank you so much for your ultimate sacrifice 
And even today, God, as we prepare to celebrate communion and celebrate your sacrifice through communion, Lord, I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you. That those who are here who have not yet given their lives to you, that today they would be compelled to give their hearts to you, to respond to your awesome love, to respond to your awesome sacrifice with faith that you provide through your grace. But not only this, for those who are Christians here, Lord, that they would get up, that they would go in, Lord, and that they would bring in the harvest. Lord, that they would be compelled to be on mission for you, to serve God, to serve all, to inspire others, that they would go above and beyond and experience you in a mighty way and see lives transformed because there's nothing like seeing someone else transformed because of your ministry. And I thank you and I give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say, Amen.